I want to parade to you a whole list of things that we're going to do. We'll talk a little bit about that in the new year. Uh, I mean, this is a big one. We wanted to talk about Hull because we just wanted to become part of our church. We wanted people to understand where we're going with it, what we're doing about it, because um, we really feel it's something that God is just opening us. Uh, and, you know, here's the deal. When God, when I, I, I want to be spirit-led in this stuff. You know, when the, when the spirit kind of prompts us, we're going to try and do it, even if it stretches us a little bit. And, um, you know, uh, and we want to set that example to you because we also feel that's how you should live. Hello. It's not just leaders who do this, it's, it's you. you know, so when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, we want you to respond. Because that's where the life of God is in the kingdom. Hello, great point Dave, amen. Because the Holy Spirit is just as capable of speaking to you as he is to us. All we're trying to do as leaders of this church is respond when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Now that happens to me personally as well as uh, in my position as a leader. But it, it has to be part of all of our lives so that actually we function as God's called us to. And so this morning I, w- I don't want to talk about, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. I want to talk about what kind of church we should be. Because, you know, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. I mean, that's what I dream about. That's what I believe for. God's called us to be his people on the earth, and he's called us to make a difference for him. Great point, Dave. You know, and so I want you to, this morning, just to start to understand that, that God has a purpose for his church on the earth, and that means that you and I are part of it, and we need to take hold of it and start to see what God wants to do. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 2. most of you have known me for a while would know I would come to this passage because I love this passage. When we talk about the church, when we talk about what God's called us to be, uh, this just a standout passage in the scriptures. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. We know the story. It's the, uh, the day of Pentecost has come. The Holy Spirit has visited the church. They've had this great big uh, revival meeting. 3,000 people saved and added to the church in one day just in Jerusalem. And this now uh, infant church is now bursting at the seams. All its structures have become useless. You know, once upon a time they were having nice little house meetings now they're meeting in the temple courts trying to figure out what to do with 3,000 people can you imagine if 3,000 people walked in here next week come on we'd have trouble wouldn't we most of our seats would have gone but I'll be going there sitting in my seat do they not know I sit there all of a sudden see we talk about it wouldn't it be amazing friends it would be chaos And all of a sudden, these early church believers are trying to get and sort out what kind of church we're going to be. We've got all these people piling in. Friends, I don't know about you, but I'd love those kind of problems. Here it is. They devoted themselves, verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is what the early church did in the midst of all of this uh, upheaval, in the midst of people coming to church. This is how they decided they would form. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. Don't you love that? Yes, Dave, it's wonderful. I want you to enlarge a vision of what church should be. You see, I think that too many of us live with low expectations of church. And I want to talk about the church I see today. And uh, we're going to come and just talk a little bit about it. The church I see from this passage and the church I want you to see. I want you to enlarge your vision of what the church should be. And therefore what you are already because you were part of the church. 
We can't look at churches and just say, well, you know, that's something that's nice and happens occasionally. Um, and, you know, I, I attend church. Friends, you don't attend church, you are church. You, you, you don't just come on a Sunday. If you just come on a Sunday, if that's your attitude to church, it's not biblical. Oh, sorry. If it offends you, I'm sorry. But actually, you know what? The world that we live in deserves a church that is passionate about being the people of God. The world that we live in deserves people who are zealous for what God wants and has called them to do. And we need to get a a fresh vision of the church that you want to see. Friends, if this church isn't what you want it to be, then make it. Oh man, you know what? I've had people leave this church in the last few months, years, whatever you want to call it. I've been here 18 years. I've had a lot of people come and go. I have. I've had a lot of people come and stay, which is great. But friends, we always get so offended. Oh, this church isn't this. This church isn't that. You know why? Because you're there. Change it. This church isn't friendly. Smile. Oh, this church doesn't sing loudly enough. Sing louder. This church isn't generous enough. Be generous. Why do we want everybody else to be the church we want it to be? No, friends, we have to take responsibility. And so I want you to think about that. What kind of church do you see for yourself? What kind of church uh, will I make? And And this is the church I see from this passage. There's loads you could say from this, but these are just a few. I see a church that puts Jesus first. It says they devoted themselves. They want devoted, they want devoted to lots of other things. They devoted themselves. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There are certain things that it means you have to devote yourself to if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. We have to say, well, you know what? I'm going to put Jesus first in my life. And to put Jesus first in my life means, one, I've got to talk to him. Two, I've got to know what he says. Three, I've got to be among people who remind me to follow him. Number four, I've got to remember what he did for me. That's all it means. Kind of, we make it so complicated, don't we? But sometimes we've just got to say, you know what? I'm just going to put Jesus first in my life today. See, if you put Jesus first in your life today, in the new year we're going to do a series on following. Because I've just got this... This, uh, the spiritual phrase would be, I've got a word from the Lord. My phrase would be, I've got a bee in my bonnet. We need followers of Jesus. We need people who'll follow him, who'll keep going, who'll say, you know what, it's inconvenient today to follow him, but I'm still committed to it. Because I'm not in this for me, I'm in this for him. I'm not in this for what he's done for me, although I love him for that. I'm in this because he's changed my life and I'm following him with everything I have. That's what it means. And so we need people who put Jesus first. I want to ask you today, are you someone who puts Jesus first? You don't have to answer, apart from for yourself. Are you someone who finds a reason to put Jesus down the list? Because that's easy, isn't it? We all make those decisions, don't we? Well, I know, Lord, you'd have me do this, but I just need to do this first. I'll do this and then I'll come. Do you remember when Jesus said to the guy, uh, the guy came to him and said, I want to follow you. And he said, I want you, okay, just leave that and walk after me. And he said, no, first let me go and say goodbye to everybody. And Jesus very unreasonably said, no, if you're going to come, come now. And we want to say, well, there's something a bit unreasonable about that, isn't there? And Jesus would say, yes, it's who I am. I'm the Lord and Savior of the world. So if I'm worth following, I'm still worth following today. So we need to understand, I will put Jesus first. You see, devotion is something that's given. Um, you can't demand devotion, you give it. I, you know, I grew up in churches where people made you feel, uh, it was almost like if you didn't read your Bible and pray every day, you're going to hell. 
They demanded devotion. But you know, you can't demand devotion. Demotion is something that's given. Demotion is something that you say, you know, good Lord Jesus, I give myself to you and your cause. I'll devote myself. You see, wouldn't it be great if we could make other people devoted? I'll devote you and you and you and you. I'll pick everybody else apart from me. If I could just get you lot to be devoted, I could not be. See, it just doesn't work. You've got to say, no, I will devote myself. Here's the other thing. You can't be devoted to two things. That's what Jesus said. You have to choose. And this early church, the church I see, puts Jesus first in their life. The church I see uh, gives themselves willingly to the purposes of God. See, people will devote themselves when they understand the cause that they're giving themselves to. And so I want you to enlarge your picture of the kingdom of God today. I want you to enlarge your picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Being a Christian isn't about you, primarily. Jesus came to save you, and the Bible says he brought us out of his, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In other words, we change kingdoms. So he saved you by taking you out of a kingdom of darkness, but he then brought you into a kingdom of light. And a kingdom of light means you have to give yourself to the king. You have to put Jesus first. And that will at times be inconvenient. That will at times be challenging. That will at times challenge everything about you. There'll be times when people will not understand the choices you make to follow Jesus. Can we say it? See, see, see the world around doesn't understand why we would choose to follow Jesus in a particular way. Why following Jesus would change how we approach sex. How would we approach relationships? How would we approach our money? People don't understand that because they don't understand what it means to put Jesus first in their lives. But we know because it's here and we say, you know what, I'll put Jesus first. I'll devote myself to him. I'll change the way that I live because I'm following him. Devotion is about an attitude, an atmosphere that we have. It's not about our personality. It's not about our rights. It's about ourselves saying, Lord, what do you want me to do for you today? How can I live for you today? And in order to do that, in order to fulfill that, then sometimes we have to say, you know, I need to hear his voice today. I'm going to open his word and I'm going to let him speak to me. Sometimes, you know, we all want a prophecy over our lives because we don't want to read the Bible. Now, there's nothing more than prophecy, but praise the Lord, there are 66 books and they all have something good to say. Sometimes you just need to open the word and say, God, speak to me. And guess what? He will. So I see a church that puts Jesus first. It is, it is, what, what, is, what is important to us is seen by what we do, not by what we say. So when we put Jesus first, people can see it in their lives. Listen, here's an interesting thing, isn't it? If your child's, I'm not going to go at anybody today, all the children are out. But if your child's Sunday hobby is more important to you than Jesus, they'll grow up knowing that. Because they'll say, well, they stop. I have the people who've stopped coming to church because they're playing football on a Sunday. Well, the kids are playing football on a Sunday. I know that's difficult, but let me talk about that just a moment. What that says is Jesus is first in our lives. So you can't be amazed when your children grow up and don't know anything about Jesus and don't want to go to church because actually you've taught them it's not important. I want to say amen this morning. Dave, you're really on it today. I feel blessed to be here. They can say that about your money. They can say that about the way you live your life. Listen, people, we need to recognize the Bible says train a child in the way it should go and it will return to it. 
It talks about what we value. See, if what we value in our lives, what we put first in our lives, sets an example to people who will then follow it. Everybody say, he's not talking to you. He's talking to the other person sitting beside you. It's just important, isn't it? Put Jesus first. I wonder if, if Jesus is really first in the church in England. Hard questions, isn't it? The church I see put Jesus first. He was there. They were devoted. They gave themselves. Number two, the church I see releases gifts and ministries. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? We're releasing Jay and we're sending him into his destiny as an apostle of Christ. Isn't it amazing? But let me take you to Acts chapter 6. Because in Acts chapter 6, the apostles' great ministry couldn't feed anybody. All of a sudden, it was a disaster. Everybody started moaning because the apostles were overseeing the church and the people of the church were not getting fed. And so what happened was they had to decide to release gifts and ministries so that people could get fed. Can you imagine if it was just me in charge of the food bank over the road? All right, you're laughing a bit much up there, Nigel. I mean, it's very personalized. Can you imagine if it was just me with my great organizational ability and patience? People would turn up and there'd be piles of cans out the back window where I'd thrown them. I'm like, I don't want these. See, we all need different skills and abilities. The church is about releasing gifts. Listen, the apostles did their thing, but then the deacons did their thing, the prophets did their thing, the people who cared did their thing, the people who were pastoral did their thing. Everybody has a part to play. You see, I think we forget that, that your part in the church is just as important as mine. Listen, I need to preach the word of God accurately. That's my job. I need to teach and encourage and lead the church. That's my job. But you need to be who God's called you to be. You need to say, well, God, you've gifted me with a passion and a skill to be able to lead worship, so I'm going to use it. Or to look after children, so I'm going to use it. You know, we added up this week. There are 226 volunteer roles within our church at the minute. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, thank you. I, I, I appreciate you clapping, even though no one else did. Isn't that amazing? You know why? Because people are taking up the burden of actually this is, my, this is my gift. Listen, that's what we love about it. I see a church that people are giving themselves to serve others. Isn't that wonderful? But that means I want you to see that. I want you to recognize that you have a part to play. And it might not be within something that happens within these walls, but it might be, well, it certainly is that in life, God has gifted you with something to do for the kingdom. So do it with all your might. Recognize it's a calling from God and give yourself to it. Give yourself to the purposes of God. This is the principle of the scriptures. We see it again and again. We have different gifts given to us, but then we have to use them in accordance with the grace given us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy. In accordance with your faith, it is serving, serve. It is teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to be on time, be on time. If it is to encourage generously, then give generously. If it is to lead, I was talking to myself then, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Listen, isn't it great if we have cheerful mercy people? People who look at people and say, it's okay, I forgive you. Not people who go, I forgive you. <laughs> people who are showing mercy. People who are cheerful at it. People who visit people who need someone uh, encouraging to come alongside them. He comes and ministers and they go away feeling better. <laughs> you always have some people who knock on the door, you open the door and you think, oh no. It's usually me, isn't it? I can see your faces, Jeremy. 
And we need to get that into our Listen, God has gifted some of us with incredible abilities. We need to see that we use them as part of the life of the church. Because we are the church. Some of us use our creative energy outside of the church, which is absolutely great. But what I mean by that is we use it outside of the sphere of the influence that God's given us. God's given you influence to use the gift that he's given you, wherever you are, whatever you do. Number three, we see a church that values everybody. He said all the believers were, in, were together and had everything in common. Can you believe that? See, I find that astonishing. In a day where we're dividing quicker than anything over the most small things, I, I believe God wants us to be a church that values everybody. People who are like us, people who are not like us, people who agree with us, people who don't agree with us, people who remind us of Jesus, people who remind us of the other guy. See, we, we, we need to be like that, don't we? We need, to, we need to value people. Because people need to recognize that actually they're loved here and they're accepted here, even if they don't share what we believe. We had a funny thing happen this week. We were talking this week in a curry house just next door, six or eight of us, weren't we? And, um, and somebody used the word bent. We weren't using it in a derogatory term at all. We were just talking about something being bent. But a guy sitting on a table next to us took great exception. Don't you dare use that word, how dare you? I'm bent. And he instantly assumed we were being horrible about him. And we apologized to him. I was a bit through gritted teeth, to be honest, because I thought he was being unreasonable. But we apologized to him. And a lovely thing happened. It's not in today. A lovely thing happened at the end of it. So one of our table got up and went and paid for this guy's meal and came back. Didn't tell him he was doing it. And the guy came, the, the waiter came to him and just said, oh, your, your bill's been paid, sir. He said, who by? And it was a lovely moment because he said, those guys there. And he went, and the guy was trying to understand it. He was going, why? And I heard the waiter go, Christians. <laughs> and you know what? He didn't know who bought him his dinner. Nobody, nobody told him. He just came and stood by the table and said, thank you. He was a bit weirded out, to be honest. But you see, we want everybody to feel valued. I just thought, what a lovely illustration of the kingdom of God. We could have argued about his disposition and why he is like he is and theologically why he needs it. Oh, we could have gone for it, couldn't we? But you see, what he needed to know was actually he's valued by us. doesn't matter his position. doesn't matter what he's done. That's the gospel, isn't it? If, we, if, if any of us could come here because we're good, if any of us can come to this table because of the great things you've done this week, then I invite you to, but I can only come because of what Jesus has done. So we want to value everybody. And that means that we'll accept everybody and we'll love everybody, even when they stand up in the middle of the service and tell us things we don't want to hear. Even when it's awkward, even when things go wrong, even when it's messy. We're committed to valuing people because we're the church. And we need to be open to love and care for one another. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Wow, what an amazing picture. He's saying, listen, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter your sex. It doesn't matter what's going on. Actually, you're valued by God. 
and he loves you and therefore we see a church that values one another everyone i don't know what number this is but it's going on i see a church that cultivates generosity wow they sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need so uh we're going to take the offering again no no we're not Isn't it amazing that, that somewhere in the middle of this church, people cultivated generosity. It was a generosity that started to come. You see, when people are generous, people become generous. And what happened was they were bringing, we read it again, people would bring their deeds to their property and hand it over. And there are two types of generosity here, and I want you to notice them. The first one is the generosity of the people to give what they have. The second one is the generosity of the people to trust their leaders to give away what they've given. That's two different kinds. See, because sometimes we can be willing to give, but then we want to choose how people use what we give. Hello. And we want to need to come to that place where there's generosity. They cultivated generosity. They practiced it. They, they learned to do it. They learned to be. We're just about to give away one of our leaders to a church that needs him. We're trying to practice generosity. I mean, there are all kinds of things, but that's one of the reasons. We're still going to pay him. We're not saying, well, it's been great, Jay. Off you go. We bless you. We're not going to pay you. We want to bless. We want to practice generosity because here's what we believe. We believe that you can't outgive God. That if you give for God, he will restore everything to you. A generous man prospers. He who gives will himself be refreshed. That's what the Bible says. So we're going to practice what the Bible says. We're going to, we're going to put it into practice. We believe that if we do what God's called us to do, then actually God will bring a blessing into our lives. And we don't do it for that reason, but we do it because we realize that actually generosity is an example to the world that actually God has met with us and changed us. So I want you to think about it. I believe in a church. I want to see a church that cultivates generosity. So what does that mean? Does that mean everybody be, everybody's generous apart from me? No, it means that we have to practice generosity. You know, the biggest generosity is generosity of heart, by the way. Sometimes responding with a generous heart, giving people the benefit of the doubt, being kind in your thoughts, that's how you start to practice generosity. Because if in your mind you're stingy or reactive in your heart, then actually it's very hard to be generous towards people, isn't it? Have you ever noticed? Just me. So we have to cultivate that in our heart. I'm going to practice generosity. I'm going to cultivate it in me because I want to be like Jesus. In everything I did, Acts chapter 20, Paul speaking, I showed you about this kind of hard work. We must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Wow, what an amazing truth. We want to practice and cultivate generosity. And to do that, I see a church that is on that, that is saying, you know what, we're going to give. It's going to hurt us sometimes, but we're going to give. And when I say the church, I don't just mean the entity, the church, I mean the individuals. Hello. I mean you and me, that actually we want to be generous people. Because when we're generous, we begin to look a lot more like Jesus. And that's the point is that we would look like him. I see a church that cultivates generosity. Next, I see a church that builds community. Listen, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love that. I love the fact that they built community together. See, this is one of the great challenges to the church in our day, is that we need to be together to follow Jesus. Listen, there's a challenge upon our lives. 
See, I know that some of you are saying, well, I'm okay, I can come to church and I can go home, I can do my prayer time and all of that. Yeah, but you're not living the life of a kingdom person. You're living an individual discipleship life. God's called us in community with one another. And so we need to build community. It says every day they continue to meet in the temple courts. Can you imagine? Some of us struggle to get here once a week. You know, can you imagine if I said, oh, tomorrow we're meeting again. Hannah would be happy. You know, it's, it's this thing. But, but what is it saying? They didn't meet in big gatherings. They sometimes did, but, but very often they went and they met together over food. Because meeting without eating is... It's down a little corner. Corner knows the mantra. You see, the truth is, we need to meet with people. We don't always have to have a meeting and sing a song and have a band and have a pastor, but we do need to meet with one another and hang out together and encourage one another in the Lord. Because actually it's being together as the people of God that makes this church family, family. If this church family is just strangers sitting in a chair on a Sunday, then friends, you know what? It's almost, it is useful to you, but it's not enough use. Because actually there are people here who can love you and share and care. And here's the big deal. There are people here who need you. There are people who need your love and your friendship and your experience and your discipleship. Because we are all part of the body. And so they built community. They worked at it. They became part of their lives. And you know what? In the busyness of life today, this is one of the things that always gets pushed out. And it happened in the early church. It says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. See, it doesn't make you feel better, even the early church. They were like, well, I'm a bit too busy to make church meetings today. And we need to just reposition ourselves. See, I see a church that wants to build community by being together. And we don't all have to hang out and be the best of friends together, because quite frankly, most of you would hate me within three hours. But we need to... Yeah, wow. That long, did he say? There's always a smart one in there, do you know what I mean? But we need, to, we need to find together that we can encourage one another in the Lord. See this word fellowship, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Is they spent time together praying and sharing the word. They did stuff together as believers that they couldn't do with people who weren't believers. Now it's great just to hang out. See we hang out and had curry on Wednesday or Thursday, whatever night it was, can't remember. But the great thing was about it is we talked about Jesus. We talked about the scripture. So it's great to be together, but then we talked about what it was. Hey, this is what holds us together as the people of God. Listen, we could all be involved in that. It's just that sometimes we have to say, you know what, I need to take building church community together. And the, you know, the New Testament shows us a model. They met in temple courts. They met in homes. They ate together. You know, the more you look, the bigger you see that food is a big thing in the Bible. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jay and I are the opposite in a lot of ways. Feasting and fasting, it's, it's two different gifts and two different, uh, two different priorities the Lord's called us to. It's just one letter difference, but it means a whole word. You know, and, and so we need to use our homes. See, our homes are places where we can just share together and be together and eat together and learn together and encourage one another. Friends, it should be something that's so much more natural to us. So, some of us are so busy and our lives are so busy and our program of life is so busy that we don't take time to do it and we're poorer for it. I find it hard to believe that as a pastor today, I have to talk to a lot of people about friendship. 
because there's a lot of lonely people in the world and in the church. I don't know if that's you today, but I want you to know God, has, God places the lonely in families, but they have to live in the family and become part of it. So if you're lonely today, I want you to know God has a part for you and a place for you, and there's a place for you here. We want to build relationship with you, but it's a two-way thing. See, relationships are two-way, aren't they? See, all of us have asked someone out wishing for a relationship, and they all went, no, thanks very much. Just me, huh? That was Julia the first time I asked her, do you know what I mean? She just said, don't go there, Dave, move on, do you know what I mean? It's a story I'll save for another day. (laughs) See, we all know what it's like to be rejected, but that doesn't stop us. We want to build friendships. Friends, you need to build community with people. See, if you stop being judgmental about people, it's much easier to build community with people. If you accept people, it's much easier to be, I can be friends with anybody. Because I'm not asking them to be perfect. I'm not asking them to be everything I need them to be. I don't need them to be anything for me to be complete. Hello, I'm complete. I'm complete in Jesus. I'm complete in my relationship with my wife. I don't have to have the security of somebody else. What I want to offer is myself as a friend and love of God into people's lives. When you can come to that place, you're able to enter in to build community with one another. I need to go on. They had fun together. Oh, sometimes churches can be so miserable, can't they? You ever been to a miserable church? Well, you just look around and you think, well, if this is the joy of the Lord, I'm out of here. And sometimes we stay in those churches because we've got this sense of loyalty and commitment. And it's admirable. But honestly, sometimes we just remind ourselves, why would people want to join us if we look like miserable people? I was going to say something naughty then, and I just stopped myself in time. We've just got to keep... I love it when we come together. It says, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a revelation, a revelation, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church must be built up. Listen, it's not talking about this gathering, is it? It's not talking about the temple courts. Because can you imagine if we all started at the back today? Or we start in the front. Helen, bring your word now. We're going to work the whole way back. I reckon by the time we got to Roy, most of you would have left. It's not about the big guy. It's about when you're together in a small context. When you go to a house group, do you go and just sit there or do you go and say, hey, here's a little word I was thinking about today. Here's a scripture I want to share with you. Here's something I think the Lord would say to you. So you've got to activate your spirit. You know what? Most of us don't activate our spirit enough. You know, I was thinking when we're singing, I'm going off on one now. Just give give me a moment. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Well, I don't know about you, but how, how can we sing praise the Lord, oh my soul, so contained do you know I never think that praise the Lord of my soul praise the Lord shouldn't it be praise the Lord of my soul praise the Lord shouldn't it be a little bit more shouldn't it be a little bit more I want to pour out the life of God shouldn't it be that I'm not saying we have to kind of all become crazy because most of you are way ahead of me But what I'm saying is we need to be people who are saying, you know what, I'm going to love God. I'm going to overpour. I'm going to give something. I see a church that builds community together. 
that has fun together, that shares life together. I see a church that lives joyfully. It says praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I haven't got time to get one into that too much. But it says, in Psalmist says, for you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. You know what? Some of us, we just need to start singing a little bit more. Not, not even in church, just for ourselves. We need to be some singers of songs. I was reading this week, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, it says they were flogged with rods and stripped bare. They were put in the inner cell and they were fastened to the stakes. And that says this, about midnight, they began to pray and sing to God. Can you imagine that? I was thinking, why was it midnight? And someone said, because it took them that long to get happy. (laughs) Now that might be true, I don't know. But the truth is, at midnight, they started to sing. They were in chains. They had been beaten, they were naked, they were in the inner cell, and they were probably going to be punished the next day. And they started to sing. And all of a sudden, freedom came. I mean, they were literally set free. Their chains went, and all the chains of people around them were, were broken off as well. How many of you know, if you just start to sing praise to God, then actually you make yourself free, and you can also bring freedom to others. Well, if you start to confess misery and doubt and fear, oh God, why this? Oh God, why this? No, they were in chains and, in de- and, and beaten, and they were in the lowest place they could be, friends, but they still find a song to God. How many of you know, if you can find that song, if you can start to live joyfully in the midst of adversity, then actually you're going to become freer than you've ever thought. And not only that, but you'll set people free around you. Because actually they'll be drawn to the singer in you, the singer of praise to God, because people can understand it. And then finally, they transformed lives. I see a church that transformed lives. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What an amazing thing. People were coming in. People were being drawn. It says in another place, people were fearful of them, but they still came and joined them. Why? Because they couldn't understand what is going on here. People are drawn to Jesus. What an amazing picture of the church. We see a church that transforms lives. You know, it was great last week, wasn't it? The baptism. (laughs) Seeing lives changed and transformed. People testifying and saying, this is where I am. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I know that Jesus has changed my life, and therefore I'm going to keep going. Doesn't it resonate with you? Because that's where I'm at today. I'm just going to keep going following him. Because I believe the church can change lives as we give ourselves to the kingdom of God. That's why people came to Jesus, because he met them, and he accepted them where they were, but then he led them into life, and into freedom, and into transformation. I see a church that demonstrates devotion, that is devoted, that releases the potential of people, that values everyone, that practices generosity, that builds community, that loves joyfully. And that transforms lives. I want you to remind you today that the church has a purpose. That God has given it a purpose. Ephesians 3 says this. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words... In other words, God has created us with a purpose to bring his wisdom to the world. That people would see, wow, this church community 
You know what? They're different. It's a different place. You know, so often a church is known for what it's against. Friends, we need to be known for what we're for. We're for Jesus. We're for his gospel. We're for the love that he's given to us. We're for uh, valuing everybody. We're for being generous. We're for sharing our lives together in community. We're for living joyfully. We're for seeing lives changed. I want to ask you today, what kind of church do you see? Maybe you've been here for years. Maybe it's your first day here. But it's still an important word to you. What church do you see? What do you believe in God wants you to be involved in today? Because what we see and what we try and give ourselves to, it, it, it is affected by what we see. If, if you just see church as part of your life, as part of what God calls you to do, if it's just, well, you know, I go to that church. No, I want you to see I am the church. When I'm in the building, I'm in the building with the church. But when I'm outside the building, I'm still the church. God's got a purpose for me. He wants me to build community with people. He wants me to practice generosity. He wants me to value the people who come into my life, the ones I agree with, the ones I don't agree with. Isn't it amazing how on social media we can disagree with people so much more easily? I'm amazed at some of the comments that Christians put on social media about other people. Being rude about them and just taking a different, because they're, they're in a position they wouldn't be. I think to myself, if they were in the same room, they wouldn't do that. But somehow if we feel it's more morally upright. No, friends, it's just mean. You know what my mother used to say to me when I was growing up? If you can't say anything good, say nothing. That'd be a great motto for us to start with, wouldn't it? Might have some quiet meetings, might we? But that's Okay. And come and talk about Jesus together. Come and encourage one another in what he calls us to do. I see a church today that's becoming more like Jesus. Band, can you come back please, the band? We're going to come and have communion in a moment. I deliberately wanted us to have communion today after I'd spoken. Because uh, I think this is a, a relevant moment. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The communion together. The early church met together in all kinds of ways. They wouldn't have had communion like we do with our nice little cups and plates. But it would have had the same meaning that we are the body of Christ. That Jesus came and died for us. That he was, his bread broken, his body is broken for us. That's the bread. His blood shed for us. That's the wine. And it speaks of why, what joins us together. You see, we're not joined together by the scripture. We're not joined together by prayer. We're not joined together even by fellowship. All those things bring us to Jesus. And he's the one who joins us together today. It's Jesus Christ and his spirit that lives in us that brings us back to this familiar place. And I want us to sing the Lord is gracious, actually. <laughs>